afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium. Zivikowski trying to get to the outside. He has blockers in front. Time for Zivikowski. Belong to beat. Shakes it off. To the five and touchdown. And now it is down. It is over. And the Irish have knocked off number one Clemson. Brady Quinn looking. Pump fakes. He rolls to the near side. Throws it. It's caught by Samaja. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. He's going in. Notre Dame has scored. Jones is the back. He's got it again. And Jones a letter room. Tony Jones makes a cut. Gets a block. And scores. Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish? What's going on, and welcome to another edition of Sons of Saturday Irish. I'm Tyler Rojack, and I'm here with my co-host Luke Smith, and today we're going to be talking about practice. Uh, Notre Dame kicks off its first spring practice session on St. Patrick's Day, March 17th, and will go all the way until the blue-gold game on Saturday, April 23rd in Notre Dame Stadium. This will be our first real look at the 2022 Notre Dame football team, and there's already plenty for us to talk about ahead of the first practice. The media will have some access to the spring practices, but not a ton I think portions of five different practices will be open to the media. Neither Luke nor I will be there, but I'm sure we're going to hear a lot from our friends on the beat who are and from player and coach interviews after practice. So today we're going to discuss some of the storylines that interest us the most heading into spring ball, Um, starting with the obvious, who is going to take over for Jonathan Doerr at kicker. Uh, We might get into the competition for punter as well. We know that position is up for grabs as well. Uh, I'm kidding. Obviously, we're going to talk about Tyler Buckner because there's no other place to start with this team than the quarterback. We'll also talk about some other position battles on offense and defense that interest us and which early enrollees we're most excited to see put the pads on. And uh, we'll close with some recruiting talk. Notre Dame, as it stands, the 2023 class is number one in the country. I bet you can't guess who number two is. Um, and maybe we'll have some discussion on the Notre Dame Hoops team because we're recording this on Tuesday, so by the time some of you listen to this, Notre Dame might have already played Rutgers in the play-in game. Uh, but Luke, in the spirit of St. Patrick's Day, do you have any fond memories from celebrating what is personally my favorite holiday? Uh, in particular, not really, honestly. Like, Not to say that it's not a bad time ever. I just uh, I think they're always usually kind of the same, um, which is a good thing, but I, I guess this year's a highlight with the full feel of 64 kicking off on Thursday, which is always uh, good when that coincides. Uh, the NCAA tournament, of course, I'm talking about with St. Patrick's Day, and looks like we actually get like some 56-degree weather here in Chicago this year, so I'm not complaining too much. But, yeah, I think Notre Dame uh, very intentionally always tried to keep students away from campus, over St. Patrick's Day, I think pretty much every grade gets like one year there, which is kind of weird, but um, whatever. It's their prerogative. So I don't, I don't really have any, I guess, anything specific. But, yeah, great holidays always. How about you? Um, I have a few, but you make a good point. Do you think Notre Dame plans that out? No, they do. I, I know that for a fact. Yes. Oh, they do? Mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to think. I, I had one St. Patrick's Day on campus. It was actually – yeah, it was 2016. It was my it was my sophomore year, and I don't know if I'd consider it a fond memory, but um, I had this. I didn't. I had a pretty light day. It was like a Tuesday or a Thursday, and woke up pretty early. Started drinking, probably far too early in the morning. But I did have one class that I couldn't skip. 
and love the professor. And I think my statute of limitations is passed now. I think I can share this story on record. And uh, it was a great speeches class. I forgot the professor's name. Um, so I'm sorry, he's not listening to this anyway. But it was like a small class, like 20 people. We all got pretty close because you have to learn how to public speak. And a big portion of the class is just speaking in front of the rest of the class. So you really have to get out of your comfort zone and get comfortable with one another. And a few other classmates of mine also started drinking a little bit early that day. Nothing, no one's like obnoxious or bad, but everyone kind of knows what's up in the room. But we didn't know was that day uh, Father Jenkins was giving a speech to our whole class oh. about how to public speak. So it was a surprise, um, an unwelcome one to most of the class because yeah. he walks in and everyone's just kind of frozen. Hell, I'm like... Uh, 20, I think. No, I was 19 at the time. So I'm definitely underage. The president of the school is in the classroom. There's like four or five of us who've definitely been drinking. Don't think we smelled like alcohol, but uh, that was my St. Patrick's Day experience at Notre Dame. Yeah, that's definitely not very memorable. Uh, well, like, I guess it is, but like not in the way you think of memorable things. But yeah, wow. Yeah, I, not in terms of like, wow, what a great party at Notre Dame. <laughs> uh, speaking of that, Blue and Gold game, Saturday, April 23rd. Is picked hostels still a thing? It's a good question. I, I don't know. You should probably ask your old roommate. I thought he might have ruined it when he ran off with <laughs> money and lived in Guatemala for a couple of years after ripping people off. <laughs> yeah, if you're not familiar, if you didn't go to Notre Dame, Pictostal is supposed to be this one huge like blowout party at, at basically random houses in downtown South Bend every year on the same day as the Blue and Gold game. It's like some giant backyard, and it's kind of like the one day a year where – it's basically the equivalent of like a multi-fraternity party because it's just this giant open space, a bunch of kegs. And, yeah, you have to pay to get in. And an old roommate of mine profited pretty heavily on it. And uh, after graduation, just sort of ditched society and moved to Guatemala for a little bit. I think it's it was a swim team thing, but mm-hmm. I don't really know. I guess we're yeah. really showing our age here now. It's a pretty garbage event. I think I went twice <laughs> out of my four years. It just like isn't very fun. But, yeah, I mean, people enjoy it, so. I yeah, know. it definitely got a little bit overhyped. Um, all right, let's move on to spring practice. And like I said, we're going to start with Tyler Buckner because it's his time. And going into spring practice, Buckner hasn't been confirmed as the starting quarterback, but based on what everything we saw last year, the amount of playing time that Tyler Buckner got as opposed to Drew Pine, who is apparently in competition for the starting job. It seems to me like this really isn't a competition, sort of like a formality, kind of similar to what we saw last year where they waited a while to say Cone. And and I get it, transfer. But this is a little bit different. Buckner and Pine have both been at Notre Dame. uh, Pine a little bit longer than Buckner. But going into spring practice, QB1 has not been announced. But all eyes are on Tyler Buckner, and, you know, for good reason. Without question. And I mean, you, you just can't really announce a starter in this situation for the reason you just mentioned in terms of transfers like this era we live in in the transfer portal. It's not a competition. We all know it's Tyler Buckner, but I mean, we can't have Drew Pine dipping off to wherever. And, and honestly, he might be the one exception where if he did announce it, I could still see him potentially st- saying or sorry, staying um, just because he does seem to like Notre Dame and Frankly, I, I don't think Notre Dame wants to have uh, Ron Paulus as their backup quarterback. Um, so, yeah, or Steve Angeli, who obviously, who knows what he's going to be like, but I just don't think that's a position they want to be in. So I, I, I get why they haven't announced a starter, um, but, but there's no doubt in my mind there's not really a competition going on there, unless, 
there's something going on that we're not aware of. Yeah, I would agree. And I one thing that stands out when Tommy Reese told the team that he's coming back, we've all seen the video where he comes into the um, auditorium and he's like, I'm not fucking leaving. I'm saying the person with the most animated reaction that we can see in the video is Drew Pine. And from everything we've heard, Pine and Reese have a very strong relationship. Um, This is Pine's third year in the program, or going to be his third full year in the program. And having a backup quarterback is extremely important. Or Maybe not one that's like really good, but one that's obviously capable where if the starter goes out, you know, all hell doesn't break loose. It's good to have a guy like that in Pine, and especially with a quarterback like Buckner who likes to run, and there's obviously some concern about his how his body is going to hold up given his, uh, I would say, recent past because he last year he was hamper- like he had an ankle injury that kind of hampered him for a few games, and then we all know in high school he missed a whole season due to a torn ACL. I believe it was his sophomore season. And now, yeah, now this year, if he is the starter, he's going to be asked to play every single game. And... I know you feel a little bit strongly about this where people shouldn't just chalk it up as him getting hurt. So what do you have to say about that? Yeah, there's a couple weird storylines about Tyler Buckner going around that I just don't really understand. That's one of them, like the idea that he's just bound to get hurt. I don't want to name it by name, but there was some podcast this week that was stressing how important Drew Pine sticking around is because verbatim, Tyler Buckner will almost certainly get hurt. It just seems like a ridiculous thing to say, really weird thing to say about a football player. And, and I think some misguided assumptions feed into this. They seem to believe that Tyler Buckner has happy feet and is always looking to go to his legs. I don't think that's really the case. It's, it's while he has impressive legs, it's not quite Ian Book's game. And, uh, yeah, he has a history of some, I guess, kind of freak injuries. But I, I just don't think that that can be guiding your assumption is he's absolutely going to get hurt next year. Like, who, who thinks like that? That's just, that's just a weird way to think of things. Yeah, and another thing, too, is Notre Dame's not going to use him the same as they did last year. Yes. Like, last year, as a, you know, borderline package QB, actually, it's not really borderline, he was just a package quarterback. He came in to typically ignite the running game, and a lot of times he'd run, lower his shoulder on defenders, throw a stiff arm, try to break some tackles. Is he really going to do that as much when he's the starting quarterback? I don't think so. And that right there could and should save his body from injury, at least a little bit. Yeah, and that leads me into another storyline there seems to be about him that I don't really understand, and, and that one is that he's not a good passer. We, we saw him attempt 35 passes last year. Not really sure how anybody can make a determination on his passing abilities from that small of a sample size. You know, I, I've heard some people say that if he was that strong of a passer, we would have seen more of it last year. I, I just don't think you realize that every time he was brought into a game last year, it was to do exactly what you just said. That was to make a play. As a result, we didn't see him in the traditional passing flow, quarterback flow. He was always trying to break the game open. I expect that to change as a traditional QB1. And and the Buckner era should also see the return of RPOs, which will open up the entire offense. So I, I just like... All we heard about this kid in high school is how great of a passer he is. And then he, unlike a lot of guys who have come in really highly touted, actually did get on the field this freshman year. And somehow, because we saw him, that means he sucks. That would, like that, That's just like the misguided Notre Dame fan who's yeah. never going to be happy. Like He actually got on the field. Phil Dracovic didn't really do that. Brandon Wimbush didn't really do that. This guy played meaningful minutes, and, and that means he fucking blows, apparently, at passing <laughs> because he didn't do it. Like, uh, I, I, I don't know. Uh, it just drives me nuts. The thing is, Trevor Lawrence sort of ruined it for all 
true freshman quarterbacks from there on out. Because prior to Trevor Lawrence, I think people would give a little bit of a grace period to a true freshman quarterback because they're like, okay, he's a true freshman learning and adapting the college game. It's significantly harder. But then once Trevor Lawrence dominated college football, dominated Notre Dame in the college football playoff semifinal and won the national championship as a true freshman, I guess now he is the standard of which every true freshman is compared to, which is totally unfair. Trevor Lawrence is a generational talent. Look at uh, health. The quarterback Notre Dame is going to face in week one, C.J. Stroud. Last year, incredible year as a redshirt freshman. He didn't throw a pass in 2020. So if he gets on the field as much as Tyler Buckner, is the conversation different about C.J. Stroud going from year one to year two? Because the fact that we did see him on the field, and yes, he did struggle a bit at times in the one time where we saw him really play a traditional QB when Notre Dame sort of let him have it uh, against Virginia Tech. And yeah, there was some really bad throws. The pick six in the second half was crushing, but he's a true freshman. Sometimes that happens. But in that same exact game, he had some really good throws too. I'm thinking of one right off the top of my head to Avery Davis and Kevin Austin. So we see the flashes where he's really good, but we're quick to point out, and we, speaking of Notre Dame fans as a whole, just are quick to point out the times here he made mistakes. But personally, I think it's Good that he had the opportunity to make those mistakes in a game setting in the first place, and it didn't you know, completely deter the entire season because Jack Cohn came in and sort of fixed things. But it's, it's actually a good thing, in my opinion, to get that out of the way early. Yeah, and not in the horseshoe. Um, but, yeah. but, but that actually is a, another really good point. And, and this is something that I've been hearing more and more of recently, and it's total hindsight bias as it pertains to the Fiesta Bowl. Because, yeah, some people were saying this right away, but I, I think especially some members of the beat were not talking about this initially, and now it's as if, like, oh, I've been talking about this all along. The idea that he had to have done something wrong to have not played in the Fiesta Bowl um, – Look, everyone's guilty of hindsight bias, but but I'm really tired of this one. Like, it seems like people forget how well Jack Cohn played in the first half of the Fiesta Bowl and how well that game was going for Notre Dame's offense. He was 24 at 33 for 342 yards and four touchdowns in the first half. He looked so good there really seemed like there was no reason to take him out. Like, he just kind of riding the hot hand. I, I think that gets lost. Is he was so good in the first half that it, it when I, I was at the game and I, I it never really even really occurred to me. We should probably put Buckner in here just because, I mean, he, he still ended up with, what, 589 yards for the game? Like, it was a ridiculous stat line. And everybody's a Monday morning armchair quarterback. But but that one really bothered me because it lost sight of how the game actually felt at the time um, and, and kind of how I was at least reacting in the moment. Yeah, the only counter I would say is I think there were times in the game where Buckner could have been in as a runner just because – the running game was non-existent, but I think part of that was the game plan going into it. It felt reminiscent of that Georgia game yeah. in 2019 where Notre Dame was like, we're not even going to try to run the ball. I mean, how we have Blake Fisher coming back, who's missed the entire season with the torn meniscus. Uh, how much are we really going to ask of him? And I think, yeah, there were some instances where I was like, okay, maybe you bring Buckner just to get the run game going a little bit. But the 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 flow of the game also changed things too, because Notre Dame's offense wasn't really in a position where they're like, all right, we have the lead here. We're going to um, burn some clock because they go up 28-7. Their defense immediately gives up a touchdown to make it 28-14. Then it goes into halftime, and then Oklahoma State gets the ball right back, 
and then they score again. So now it's 28-21. It's not like Notre Dame's offense had a, ch- had a chance to try to like eat some clock, run the ball, and get it going. By that time, Notre Dame's offense was kind of on their heels, and considering how much success they had in the first half with the short passing game, I understand why Buckner didn't come in there. Like, Just keep it going with the, like, the offense that you're running. Obviously, it didn't work out. Notre Dame's uh, offense wasn't really able to adjust as well as Oklahoma State's defense. But yeah, that's, again... Easy to play the results there. I don't really think that's indicative of what the coaching staff thinks of Buckner as a player. But now as we look ahead, it's a totally different. That that game plan was designed for Jack Cohn and what he was good at. Now, Reese has an entire offseason to build the offense around Tyler Buckner and what he's good at. Yeah, exactly. So, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like I've heard a lot of things that are just total hindsight bias. And I, I get there's not a lot to talk about right now, but there's also no reason to make stuff up either. Yeah, are you excited for the uh, overreaction? Because like I said at the beginning of this, we're not going to get a ton of, we're not going to get a ton to see of Tyler Buckner other than like the B-roll clips that the Notre Dame media team puts out after practice and obviously what we see during the blue and gold game. But are you ready to just hyperanalyze some real quick practice videos i hope that there's been enough discussion about like the over analysis that it actually kind of fades away like that's just a hope i, I don't know <laughs> it's probably not realistic but it's a hope one last thing on buckner i will say i understand why people are going to hyper analyze it i just think that in the case of notre dame this year there's more pressure on tyler buckner to be great than any notre dame quarterback since jimmy clausen i would say now, obviously, like you mentioned, Notre Dame has had some highly ranked quarterbacks come in who didn't play early in Brandon Wimbush and Phil Dracovic, and neither of them, I would say, really panned out at Notre Dame. Buckner was a high four-star. He was the number 71 player nationally in the 24-7 composite, and I think at this point, with the schedule that Notre Dame has, the success of the team is going to be so dependent on Buckner becoming the type of elite-level quarterback you need to beat teams like Ohio State and Clemson, hell, even BYU. The schedule this year is loaded, and I get why there's so much interest in them, and people are going to hyperanalyze it, but throughout spring practice, it is going to be kind of a lot here, and I understand the pressure, though. Yeah, I mean, there there is a lot of pressure. I I don't know if I want to go that far, though, because I think that's more just kind of prisoner of the moment than anything, just because I think we do this with pretty much every quarterback. But I think your point about the schedule does escalate it somewhat. Yeah, and he obviously has the first and the toughest test of all starting against Ohio State in the shoe in week one. But I I don't know, just looking back, like think about Ian Book's situation. When he came in as the starter, things were so bad on Notre Dame's offense. I think the expectations were so low Uh, that it was... I don't know. We were 3-0, and and it's like, why mess up an undefeated season? Like, you better perform, and he did right away that's true so I, like, yeah I think that that place and and Brandon Wimbush was coming off a four and eight team too Deshaun Kaiser everybody thought that that team was a national ch- championship contending team and they probably were right he just needed to come in and not mess things up so I, I think that maybe I don't know I, I think there's always some level of, of pressure there and and it probably seems larger right now just because of who they're opening the year up with but I, I think largely it's it's kind of always there So do you think part of it and part of the fan angst, I would say, is because of how these highly rated quarterbacks in the past have performed? Like he's the next one up. He's we've been hearing about Tyler Buckner for so long. Do you think that's really like what is causing all this pressure and angst among the fan base? 
Yeah, I also just think fans are idiots. So I just yes, <laughs> so, it's been a common take from you. So I, it's just like, why would you be nervous? I think the guy is going to be really good. Let him play. Like I, I just, I just want to see it. Like there's, there's also nothing you can do about it besides wait until we get to the game and see what he can does. So it's just, it's something that's not worth getting worked up over. Basically, yeah, we have plenty of time to get worked up and analyzed uh, Tyler Buckner throughout the spring, throughout the summer, and honestly throughout the fall because it's going to be a long season. I'm sure there's going to be some ups and downs. Uh, let's move on to another position group on the offense. Uh, we've talked plenty about the offensive line here. We've talked about Harry Heastand, his return to Notre Dame. But since our last podcast, uh, starting center Jarrett Patterson tore his peck. He's already had surgery, and the rehab process has begun. But this is obviously a huge blow to the Notre Dame team, even though Jarrett Patterson is expected to be ready to go by the season opener against Ohio State. But still, I think there's lots of questions. There were lots of questions about the offensive line prior to this, and even more so now without their leader and probable captain Jarrett Patterson. Yeah, it's it's interesting because before he got hurt, I was even having this thought I'm about to say, and and. It's kind of the idea that I, I feel like it seemed like everybody thought with Fisher and Alt coming back and really, I guess, you know, all the starters coming back except Kane Madden, really, um, and here he stand that it was just going to be a slam dunk like this line should win the Joe Moore Award. Um, and I think looking at it like that, as good as I know that Blake Fisher is going to be and as good as Joe Alt was last year, it's a little short-sighted and maybe contradictory because I remember last year everybody was saying, like, uh, North Carolina, they're going to be really good because their entire offensive line is back. Guess what? That offensive line was terrible, uh, and they were terrible again this year. So experience isn't always a good thing if the guys aren't very good. And if you look at Notre Dame this year, I'm not going to compare them to the level of North Carolina, but when they played their toughest opponents, Wisconsin, Cincinnati, Oklahoma State, they basically they punted on running the football because their offensive line was not in a position where they could do anything on the ground, and, and I think that's of note. So to just assume that a year is just going to make all the difference, they're going to be fine to go, I mean, I get it. I get the logic, but I don't know that it's something I, I can necessarily just assume is going to happen because, like we said, I just don't think experience is always a good thing. Now, North Carolina didn't have anybody like Joe Alder, Blake Fisher, but it's just it's something that's like, wow, what if I all last year I was saying North Carolina's line is going to be terrible again, and they were, but if I just assume that Notre Dame's is going to be good because uh, they got Harry Heastan and all these guys are back, might be a little bit short sighted. Yeah, I get that, and with Josh Lug coming back, and really with Andrew Kristovich coming back, and you know Jared Patterson's coming back as well, but he's going to be limited. I guess people are quick to assume that, okay, Harry Heastan comes in and he fixes all the problems. Don't get me wrong. I think the line is going to significantly improve under Harry Heastan. We've made that point several times. But, like, Josh Lugg is going to be, what, a six-year senior? Yeah. Can he really improve that much? And he's going to be limited in spring practice as well, coming off that torn or partially torn meniscus injury that kept him out of the Fiesta Bowl. So assume he's going to be a limited participant in spring. Jared Patterson isn't going to be out there at all. I think the one thing this does do is it gives guys like Rocco Spindler a chance to really showcase his skill set. We know he, how highly recruited he was coming out of high school. Um, guy like Zeke Carell, you know, he really struggled last year. That's no secret, but he was playing out of position. He's a natural center who was playing left guard. 
Now with Harry Heastand maybe playing back in his normal position, does he have a chance to get back on track and improve? Like how Harry Heastand moves pieces around the offensive line, I think that's going to be really interesting to watch over the course of the spring with these guys out and then could sort of set things in motion for the fall because then, hey, say Lug gets back and they want to move him to guard, but Rocco Spindler takes advantage of this opportunity in the spring and just really kills it, and now he might be a starter. Like, these little things, these little opportunities in the spring, I think could really determine what we see on opening day with the offensive line. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, there's no doubt about that. And I mean, I kind of feel bad for Zeke Carell because I think what's going to happen is he's going to play center this spring and then Jared Patterson's going to come back and going to take that spot. And Zeke Carell's going to be like, well, shit, I wish I'd transferred. Um, so he's kind of he get, he's kind of getting screwed, um, to be honest. But we'll see. Yeah, I don't know. And Zeke Carell could still transfer. I do think that after spring practice, hell, it happened last year uh, when Jordan Johnson transferred after spring. This is it, this is common. Guys are going to do spring practice. They're going to kind of get a sense of where they are at on the depth chart, and they could transfer. I wouldn't be surprised if Notre Dame lost a couple guys, but, I mean, that's just the, the nature of the business now. Um, besides the offensive line, what other offensive storylines are you most interested in? Can Notre Dame get a level of consistency at receiver from anyone besides Lorenzo Styles, or assuming he's healthy, Avery Davis? Because I think we saw that from Styles the second half of last year. He obviously really kind of blew up in the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, and Davis was their most dependable receiver last year. I would argue before he got hurt, he was far more dependable than Kevin Austin. He, he didn't have off games. There were some games he didn't get the ball, but he was always doing something. He was, I thought, our most dependable receiver. Obviously, I don't know what that recovery is looking like right now. We're hopeful he's back and, and fully healthy. But other than that, the receiving room is kind of a mixed bag. Uh, Braden Lindsey kind of started off his career maybe better than he's ever reached since. Uh, like he used to be able to be kind of a threat in jet sweeps, things like that. He doesn't really seem as explosive as he once was. Joe Wilkins, obviously coming off an injury as well. We saw him for a game and a half last year, whatever it was, three games. It's um, it's just kind of a mixed bag. And then we have some of the younger guys like Deion Colsey and Jaden Thomas. We don't really know what to expect from them. I think there's some high hopes for them, but we haven't seen anything from them to date. So I don't know. Uh, but but those are really kind of the two guys that, that you know can be dependable, and that's Styles and, and a healthy Davis. And obviously I think we know Michael Mayer is going to see a share of, of – brackets this year so uh who are they going to get the ball to that's a question and and who's going to step up and and kind of make that offense work yeah I agree I would say pretty much the same thing we've talked at length about the receivers on this podcast plenty of times but more specifically uh for me I'm interested to see if Deion Colsey or Jaden Thomas two of the freshmen to be sophomores next season wide receivers uh can one of them separate themselves and, you know, insert their way into the rotation, maybe even the starting job, because last year we saw some flashes of Colsey. He had a big third down conversion against USC, and in a game where we threw 70 times in the Fiesta Bowl, he barely got on the field. So a lot of fans have wondered, what what the hell was that about? And I think it's a fair question. The coaches have been pretty coy about it. Dell Alexander is gone. New receivers coach Chancey Stuckey is here. Maybe this gives... Deion Colsey another chance but we didn't really see Jaden Thomas at all last year and the fact of the matter is with these numbers like Notre Dame needs one of those guys to step up I'm I'm not even asking them to be like an Avery Davis someone as dependable as him I think if we can get that from Lorenzo Styles overall 
the the group will be okay. But like if Colsey plays up to what his status was as a recruit, because I think people forget like Colsey was a big get at the time because he lives in Athens, Georgia, so Georgia's backyard. I think he was the fourth highest recruit in his class. So he comes in with all this hype. We see him a little bit as the year goes on. And then it just it seems like the conversation surrounding him in this past offseason honestly hasn't been great. Um, I know Pete Sampson has reported that there's been some questions on the coaching staff about Colsey's compete level, um, particularly in the winter workouts, where that's just not the case with Styles. Like, Styles came in, is a dog, forced his way onto the field as a freshman, and then by the end of the year, I mean, you could argue that he was the most talented wide receiver, even with Austin. So I think there's a lot of pressure on both of those guys, but I think a little bit more so with Colsey, just considering what we thought he was as a player coming into Notre Dame. Yeah, no, without a doubt. And and he did have a couple moments last year, but we'll see. I, I don't know. We just didn't see enough of it. And like I said, it's about that level of consistency and, and obviously just haven't seen that yet. I'll keep it with the skill positions too. Another thing that I'm going to be looking out for is uh, who is going to take over as the lead running back with Kyron Williams gone. The stakes here probably aren't as high as wide receiver because Logan Diggs, Chris Tyree, and Audrey Castame all clearly look like capable backs. But when you look at the Fiesta Bowl, it just it like Logan Diggs had a great second half of the season and he showed flashes and people are comparing him to prime Le'Veon Bell and that's all great and all. But then in against a really good team, I know that the line didn't play that great and running the ball wasn't you know a, a high priority in the offensive game plan, but he just left a lot to be desired and. I understand Chris Tyree last year was dealing with a turf toe injury, nagging, and sort of derailed his season. But coming out of high school, he you know he's a five star back that we thought was going to like change the offense. And going into last year, I had really high hopes for him. Now it's going to be a little bit difficult to make that kind of impact when Kyron Williams is a starting running back doing what he does. But this year, I think you kind of need one of those guys to really assert themselves as the one. Like I I, I know we're going to be running a lot of two running back stuff. Both guys will be getting a lot of carries, and Estime might force him as well. But I think you need one clear, like, not saying Kyron Williams level of sort of, like, trustworthy, but a guy who, you know, in big moments can get you a first down on, like, third and three, but also break one open for a big touchdown. Yeah, no, it'll it'll definitely be interesting to see kind of how they mix and match those guys. Um, who knows? Maybe Tyree will get split out into the slot more to help with some of the receiving woes, too. So, I don't know, but I'm eager to see who, who kind of steps to the forefront there. If you had to guess, who do you think is getting the bulk of the carries uh, out of the three running backs like at the beginning of the season? I don't know. I, I could see it being Tyree or Diggs because I, I don't know how much of Tyree's injury played into last year. So I, I just don't know enough to give an honest answer there. But between those two, I would think. Personally, I think it's going to be Diggs because I think – Tyree's going to get a lot of uh, receptions. I think they're going to split them out, but you know that's just a guess. As as we're in what it's March fifteenth right now, a lot can change between now and then. Um, all right, let's move on to the defense. Uh, what storylines are you most interested in on that side of the ball? Yeah, can Clarence Lewis bounce back? Uh, I think maybe rumors of his demise were somewhat exaggerated <laughs> last year. I don't think he was quite as awful. Rumors. Uh, I mean, he was not quite as awful as he looked in the Fiesta Bowl, all in all. Um, he was awful that day. But all in all, I don't <laughs> think he was that awful. And I was going to say, I don't think there were rumors 
I think it was pretty clear he was And mad. I think that gets unfairly blown out of proportion because of how well Cam Hart played last year. So I think he can be fine. I mean, you just hope these cornerbacks have short memories. I don't really know. But that's going to be huge because otherwise, like, I just don't really know who's there. And that's going to be a problem. Yeah, what's the deal with Tariq Bracey? Does anyone know? He's in school. I don't think he's playing football for Notre Dame. Interesting. Yeah, he hasn't been. I don't know that from anything. That's just what my mind is telling me. Your hunch? He, yeah. yeah. It is weird how quiet he's been this offseason. No formal announcement one way or the other about whether or not he's coming back. But you're right. He is still enrolled in the school. So he could finish out the semester, graduate, and then grad transfer somewhere else. But it does seem a little bit odd because if he were to come back, he'd get plenty of playing time. Whether or not he's the starting field corner or the nickelback, he would see a lot. Like, I know that his career has been a little bit up and down, but, like, I mean, in the Georgia game in 2019, going back to that again, he showed real flashes of a guy who could be a really impactful defensive back. And then, you know, he gets benched after the Clemson and North Carolina games in 2020. But Clarence Lewis just hasn't done enough to separate himself, even if he's not going to be this great player. It is odd that Bracey hasn't made an announcement eh. one way or the other. I mean, Georgia in 2019 had, like, George – I don't even remember if George Pickens played that game. He might have been hurt. Uh, they didn't have that many great receivers. He sees Ohio State on the schedule, and he sees Smith and Jigba and Marvin Harrison Jr. and all those guys, and he might say, that's going to ruin any chance I have of playing future professional football. <laughs> so that could be part of it. That's true. Maybe he's just looking out for himself. I could see, I I could see a, a world where he does come back. Yeah, it could happen. I just doesn't seem. It, yeah, strong. it could happen. But right now, I would say the momentum is not leaning that way. Uh, I'll stick with the cornerbacks. One thing I, I'm really looking to see, sort of similar to the wide receiver position, is can one of the three freshmen to be sophomore corners separate themselves um, and get on the field, or maybe it's Jaden Mickey, the early enrollee freshman, because. Okay, yeah, we've seen Clarence Lewis. We've seen Cam Hart. Cam Hart had a really strong season last year. Other corner, up for grabs. Where Notre Dame signed three three star cornerbacks in Ryan Barnes, Chance Tucker, and Philip Riley. Ryan Barnes was the only one who saw the field last year with three snaps. And Mickey, I think he came into Notre Dame like 5'11", 170. That's what he was listed at, so he was probably a little bit lighter than that. He's probably a little bit too small. Uh, to make an impact this early, maybe at the end of the season, if he bulks up over the spring and summer, we'll see. But one of those guys has got to be a hit. Um, You can't go over three there. I know we haven't recruited that well at DB in the past. We're hoping that Ramon Henderson can really excel at safety. And how Xavier Watts, who is a converted wide receiver, if, if they can play at safety, that's great to go along with Brandon Joseph. But like, the recruiting at corner has been so bad, and I know it's looking up for 2023. If we go 0 for 3 here, that would just be really bad. You're putting a lot of pressure on future freshmen going, like looking down the road. And I, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see here, but I, I have to imagine one of those guys can sort of get on the field or make some sort of an impact. Yeah, you would hope so. If I had to guess, didn't Ryan Barnes jump onto the two deep like very late in the year? His only three snaps were in the Fiesta Bowl, which didn't make any okay. sense. So go figure. All right, so maybe it's uh, Ryan Barnes. Another player I'm going to keep an eye out for in the spring is uh, Prince Collie because he's getting a little bit lost in the spotlight because of 
Jalen Snead coming to Notre Dame, who's coming in with a ton of hype. He's he's already enrolled at Notre Dame. He's going through winter workouts, and deservedly so. Snead's probably going to be an awesome player. But we're quick to forget how much hype Prince Colley came in with. And, hell, he won the High School Buckus Award, which goes out to the top prep linebacker. Jalen Smith won that same award when he came out of high school. Like, we were all very high on Prince Colley, and then he had a pretty severe bout with COVID, it seems like, right during fall camp, which is like the worst possible time to get it. And it sort of derailed his whole first half. But now, you know, he's got a year under his belt. He's had some time. He did get in for like 58 snaps last season. Al Golden, he's got a new defensive coordinator, someone who could try to use him. I think we'll see him this year. But I think that we're going to start to see those flashes of potential and the great player that we thought he was in high school this spring. Yeah, um, I I think you're right. He did kind of get lost in the shuffle just because of everything that happened with his COVID, all this stuff. But I I do expect he'll play a pretty big role this year. Um, So I'm looking forward to that. And and really, I guess, just that defense at large. Like, I don't think we really actually know what it's going to look like, even though we said, oh, it's going to be Marcus Freeman's defense without Golden calling the shots. But then, no, maybe it's not. So actually seeing what that looks like will be interesting. Yeah, I wonder how Al Golden has been using the past few weeks to sort of acclimate himself with the team and the rest of the coaching staff. The offense is honestly going to be probably a more interesting thing to look at because other than Reese, it's pretty much all new coaches on that side of the ball. But now with Golden, it's I don't know how like I don't know how it works in the spring practice when like you're implementing a new defense or maybe they're just trying to get people in different spots, see a lot more individual work than 11 on 11, but Linebacker last year, we were obviously very thin, starting with Marissa Leofau getting hurt in fall camp. He's back. Um, the talk about him, I, I knew that there was a lot of hype on him going into the season last year, but it, I've seen some, I've read some stuff lately where some of the beat writers are saying, like, yeah, he would have definitely been the leading tackler, like, exploded onto the scene just because of how good he was in fall camp. That's another guy, too, we could think about where if he shows sort of those flashes in, in last year's camp, like, the dynamic of this defense as a whole could be a whole lot different. Yeah, I mean, and he definitely would have led the team in tackles because his replacement did. So, um, <laughs> so, and he's a lot quicker than his replacements. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see. I guess the other thing I'm interested in, like, I don't expect guys like Michael Mayer should not participate in spring ball. Um, Isaiah Foskey should not either. Um, who who's going to step up with Isaiah Foskey sitting out? Like who's going to take advantage of their opportunity and, and hopefully play themselves into some snaps this year? I think that'll be interesting because there's just no reason to have those guys do do the spring. There is. I'm sorry. <laughs> Should we red jersey at D end? May as well, right? I mean, it's not, from from what we've heard, he hates practice anyways. So um, I don't oh, know why yeah. we even do it. Yeah. Yeah. What did Kelly say? He was just kind of eh in, in fall camp last year. Nothing spectacular. Yeah, something like that. That was that was very weird. Yeah, I'm with you. I wouldn't mind seeing him take just minimal reps. Um, Jason had to be all at two. I'm yeah. Well, he doesn't need a ton. Um, but guys like Jacob Lacey, even Justin Adamiola, Riley Mills, he's probably going to be moving around. I saw Nana Osafo Mensa could be starting too. So maybe if Fossey doesn't play, we can at least rotate some other guys because – the D-line is super deep. Like, it's probably one of our strongest position groups going into next year, would you think? Yeah, probably. Um, so, yeah, we'll see how they do in around Washington. But, yeah, probably. All right, that's it on the defense. So we'll move on to the early enrollee we're most excited to see. I think Notre Dame is 12. We've heard some good things coming out of the winter workouts, some freshmen who are impressing. Um, one name that keeps coming up, 
is Josh Burnham, and I'm really excited to see him on the field with the pads on because Pete Sampson reported that Burnham has been the most impressive early enrollee in winter workouts, not because he's some freak athlete or anything, but apparently his determination and ability to push himself beyond all physical limits has been really impressive to the veterans on the team and the coaching staff. And we've heard time and time again from hell guys like Mike McGlinchey and other former players who are, you know, really good players and who've been in the program a long time who talk about those workouts at Bayless as just the most grueling thing they've ever experienced. So for a kid who should be in high school to come in and excel at those is it's pretty impressive stuff. If that, if that's the case. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, I mean, from what we've heard, sounds like he's actually been outperforming the guy that I want to see Jalen Sneed. Um, so that's interesting, but uh, that's another guy that I'm interested in, in seeing uh, just because we know he's probably the best athlete in the class. I, I don't think he lacks any confidence for it either. I think he's pretty much said as much. So, so yeah, that'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I don't know how much we'll actually be able to see of them until the spring game, but definitely going to be something to follow. We've already talked with Mike Singer about this before. This linebacker group that Notre Dame's bringing in this year could be tops in the country and could be an anchor of the defense for years to come. Um, but that's sort of all I got on spring ball, um, but still in the news in Notre Dame. Notre Dame's pro day is March 25th, so um, 10 days from now. And Notre Dame had five guys in the combine. I think the things that stood out is, one, Kyle Hamilton is going as high as, I think, two in Todd McShay's mock draft. But then sort of on the inverse that, um, a guy who we love, Kyron Williams, ran a 4.69, I think was his official time at the combine. So another opportunity for them to, you know, showcase their skills and hell even jack cones is uh, jack cone is moving up the boards a little bit um are you excited to see anyone at pro day did they invite uh mdt back micah do treadway done that to some transfers in the in the past and i know he and he's still uh chasing his dream they should that they should probably do that i mean freeman doesn't know but i know who was it they invited back uh they've invited transfers back before so they should definitely invite him back they had chris fink come back yeah after like a year after oh oh i know who it was it was ever golson Oh, that's right. Um, but yeah, I think they should do that with MDT. So just, just that'd be call. awesome. I'm excited to see Kyron, man. I I was shocked at at the force. We were actually together um, when that came out, and I guess it was just so shocking to me because like I knew speed. People said he didn't have top end speed, but like I don't know how many times did we see him get chased down and that run against Clemson and that run against North Carolina. No one caught him. And there's mm-hmm. some good athletes on that team. And then, especially that run against North Carolina, like, he just threw down and avoided four tacklers. So, uh, were you surprised by that? Um, yes and no. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I, I I just try not to put too much stock into these things. Like, it is slow, though. I will admit that. But yeah. like, there's a difference between playing a game and, like, actually just, like, lining up and running. Like, your form and all that stuff's all out of whack. Like, I mean, even Kyle Hamilton's time probably wasn't as fast as I would thought it would be, but you watch him in a game, he's probably the fastest dude out there. So I just, like, I try not to put too much stock into these things. Obviously, they're important. Um, but, I mean, hell, we've seen some guys in the past couple of years who, from Notre Dame even, who have had probably better figures than people would have thought, and I don't know how well it's translated to their actual playing career in the NFL. So, like, it's it doesn't matter. You just got to play football at the end of the day. It does matter, I'm sure, in the eyes of some people, but I don't think it matters that much. Yeah, we'll see with Kyron. Um, I was surprised to hear that he got a return to school grade, but then again, he's a running back, and I don't really think that coming back for another year could have really improved his stock that much. Um, So we'll close with some recruiting talk. 
because Notre Dame's class, as I mentioned at the top, 2023 is number one in the country. And I said I teased it a little bit. I said, I bet you can't guess who's number two. Uh, who do you think it is, according to the 24-7 composite? Assuming you haven't looked it up. Georgia? Nope. Alabama? Texas Tech. Because they've got 13 recruits. They've got four four-stars oh, and okay. nine three-stars. Yeah, so I don't think they're going to hang around there. Yeah. Um, this will probably be a different conversation, but I don't know. I thought that was pretty surprising. They just... They just have a lot of guys committed right now. Um, but this is important because at the start of spring practice, Notre Dame's got a lot of important visitors coming in, led by Carnell Tate, the receiver out of IMG Academy. It does seem like everything is pointing towards him going to Ohio State, like pretty much every other top wide receiver recruit in the past, I don't know, four or five years. But him coming to Notre Dame, he's coming early, spending a little bit more time on practice, and I know they've got some other guys coming in too. Um and hell, Dante Moore's been sort of been in the news a lot lately. That uh, I think he's like the number three rated quarterback in that class too. Um, apparently, he's a lean towards Notre Dame. Um, what recruiting storylines have sort of stuck out to you as of late? Uh, yeah, I think it's it's how unprofessional that guy uh, for on three <laughs> at Michigan, EJ Hollandis, uh, taking <laughs> taking shots at our guest of honor, uh, Mike Singer, that are just completely unsubstantiated and just coming off as a fucking moron basically all the time. Like it's pretty weird. Um, uh, but yeah, other than that, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't really follow this stuff too closely. It's interesting. Um, but at the end of the day, like I don't need to know too much about what a 17 year old kid, where, where he wants to go to school or where he might go to school because it's a, it's a big decision. So, uh, whatever a kid wants to do, they want to do. But, uh, but yeah, pretty much that, just that guy, EJ Holland who writes for Michigan is a moron. So I got that. To provide some context for those unfamiliar, EJ Holland is like the Michigan equivalent of Mike Singer, but Mike Singer is much he, better at his job. Not yeah. the equivalent. He, Roll he's on the staff. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, he came at our boy Mike um, in some articles, literally calling him out by name. So Mike won't react. He's definitely too professional, and uh, he's got a good head on his shoulders. But, hey, that's where we come in. We're going to defend our guy. Yeah. And, yeah, he, he's been like – writing these weird reports about the Dante Moore recruitment because Dante Moore is from Detroit. Michigan's going after him very hard. He's, you know, from their back backyard, but he's apparently leaning towards Notre Dame. And this is, like we said earlier, Buckner was, I think, 71st nationally. Dante Moore's top 15. This would be uh, a really, really big get for Notre Dame. And also, I'm calling bullshit on you. You can't lie. If Dante Moore commits to Notre Dame, it's going to move the needle a little bit for you. You're going to react. Um, I mean, it'll be, I, I'm not going to be upset about it, but like, it's, it's like, it is what it is, you know, like there's, there's very few recruiting sagas I've followed closely. Most of them don't work out too well, like Will Shipley. So, um, Will Shipley. So, so you just who try the, to follow. Who was the guy who committed to Notre Dame and then immediately tried to get out to go to UCLA? It was like Vanderdose? Eddie Vanderdose. Yep. Notre Dame has had some really weird sagas, like especially in that era, the 2010 to 2015. Um, but yeah, just a couple of things to follow as spring practice progresses is, yeah, Notre Dame's got a lot of big-time recruits coming in, and uh, that's been sort of the mantra of Marcus Freeman ever since he came on. Uh, but that's all I got for this one. You got anything else, Dan? No, hopefully when you're listening to this, uh, Notre Dame has dominated Rutgers in Dayton, Ohio, and is on its way to San Diego. But that's all I got. Yeah, let's get an official prediction for Notre Dame hoops before the game so that people can all check us after the fact. This was the weirdest thing I've maybe ever come across. Uh, Rutgers fans despise Mike Bray. 
because apparently nine years ago, Rutgers had this coach, Mike Rice, who was fired for like beating the shit out of his players, basically. Like, I remember like, that. And Chris Christie like reached out to Bray for advice and like Bray basically was just like, just take it slow. Like take your time with your decision with a new AD and a new coach going into a new conference. And Rutgers fans took that as like Bray telling Christie that he should shut down the basketball program. So if you look on Twitter, if you look on Twitter, like it's like Rutgers fans despise Mike Bray. And I think if you ask Mike Bray about what he said nine years ago, he would say, I I haven't thought about that in nine years. Uh, (laughs) It's not what I meant. So that's been entertaining. um, But that's also kind of, compelled me to to want to you know really win this basketball game because a season-ending loss to Rutgers it's it's hard to think of something worse than that to be honest like Rutgers when you just hear Rutgers it's just ugh that is gross but I think the Irish get it done I think it's like a 48-46 game it's gonna be gross uh but I think I think they get it done the analysis has been pretty priceless like yeah these teams are not they're not that great so just just bet the under I actually think Notre Dame's gonna um beat Rutgers and I'm notoriously pessimistic when it comes to Notre Dame basketball, but I actually do think they'll they'll beat Ruggers, and I think they could beat Alabama too. Alabama's like limping into the tournament. Yeah, we'll uh, see. The SEC as a whole is really good, but they could, I think every year the play-in team is at, at least one has ended up winning their next game, right, and advancing to the round of 32. Yeah, I th- and I think like most years, one gets the Sweet 16, so we'll see how it goes. All right, cool. So when all of you are listening to this and Notre Dame just lost by <laughs> 12 to Ruggers, yeah. you can just... You know, tweet at us, yeah. at Sons of Sad Eyes, call us idiots. You can probably just not listen to the last five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that'll do it for this episode. Thanks again for listening. Uh, give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Sons of Sad Irish. And uh, we'll be back again soon to talk some more spring practice and uh, the upcoming spring game as well. So we'll talk to you soon.